Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And we are back to fill your ear holes with more trivial nonsense that, well, interests us, interests me. Is it interest you? I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out. So, uh, Jim, how you doing today, man? Not too bad. It's been a uh, pretty relaxing weekend. The weather is definitely improving. It seems like uh, spring is, is on the way. Um, March traditionally and proverbially comes in like a lion and out like a lamb and that seems like that's going to be the case this year but uh, I'm noticing an upward trend in the temperature and as much as like small talk about the weather is not exciting this time of year I always get a little fired up about the snow slinking guiltily off into the gutters like a an unwelcome house guest that's kind of outstripped their uh, their, their welcome someplace so well you do it's nice to somewhere see. notoriously cold so I mean at least at this phase in my life, yeah. I've definitely lived warmer places and, and sort of this time of year and, and the last few months definitely long for those warmer places. I, I, I love the desert air. It smells like sand and sagebrush and those 60-degree Januaries in Vegas are really easy to get used to. But, you know, <laughs> life takes you in strange directions sometimes and you never know where you're going to wind up. So maybe someday again soon. Well, up here in the Pacific Northwest, spring just means one thing and that is rain. And so, you know, it's been nice to see it. It got rid of all that snow real darn quick, so... Mud uh, season okay is approaching. Mud season is actually here. So, <laughs> but I mean, it's not too bad overall. Uh, and as we record, uh, I'd like to say it's kind of a lull in activity in the world, which is kind of nice. Uh, CPAC's yeah. going on as time of recording. So all you uh, uh, Republicans getting your fill of your uh, golden calf, as it were. And your, your Nazi rune-shaped stage, which is uh, a wonderful thing that I've seen virally making the rounds the last couple of days. How is something like that an accident? I mean, I, again, I don't like to get super it political, but there's it can't a, be an our, accident. You know, we've got we we respect all members of our Jewish community, and this was just uh, no, no. Come on, man. It's such an unconventional shape. You can't help. You look at that, it and you know it wasn't happen. an accident. Right. But then also, uh, let's see what what else has made the news lately. Oh, Mr. Potato Head is oh, now don't you just, just mean Potato Head? Potato Head now. And what I love about that, I love about that. Conservatives are up in arms about that. What I love about that is that, okay, to begin with, conservatives, um, Mr. Potato Head has always been at, at least a cross-dresser and possibly transgender because, I mean, he comes with a mustache <laughs> and eyes with eyelashes. So you could, you always could, Mr. Potato Head has, has only identified as male on the outside of his box. In general, he's always been completely androgynous. Um, so, and for conservatives to get that up in arms about a character who <clears throat> for years has not only been at least a crossdresser, but has, has also stored all of his extra accessories in his cavernous ass. It just seems to me like it's, it's a little bit, um, they've been blind to that the entire time. Well, here's the thing I don't get, and, 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 and I'm not going to say too much about this because it's just ludicrous, but the fact of the matter is, is. Uh, Potato Head's got no outward genitalia, got no inward genitalia. He's a plastic nope. potato. And before he was a potato, he was uh, an actual potato. Like, yeah. you took a, instead of being a, the plastic cavernous shape that we're used to, it was just you would get a potato from the pantry and pluck these little accessories into it, and boom, there's your toy. Which is some Dust Bowl shit that I don't even want to start comprehending that you're yeah. playing with fucking produce. Yeah, Mr. Uh, Potato Head, a lot of people don't know that. Mr. Potato Head used to just be the accessories with the spiky little pegs on the back, and you put them on a real potato. Um, you know, and then theoretically, I suppose, you could pull the plastic eyes and mustache off of Mr. Potato Head, and then he'd become something lovely you could have with, uh, with your dinner. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, that, it, it's, you know, people who are determined to be outraged, people who, are, who, are, who look for reasons to be pissed off, this was always going to set them off. And, you know... Yeah. Of course, it's just another excuse for, for you know conservatives to throw up their hands and say uh, yeah, the world is going to shit. Everything has to be you know for the benefit of the LGBTQ community now and the the liberals and the millennials and just gonna they're gonna shake their impotent fists at the heavens and 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 blame anybody but themselves for the state of the world because it's kind of their entire brand. Right, and and the fact of the matter is is they're they're lumping him into the cancel culture argument now, and and I saw this really dumb picture of like. Uh, it was like Gina Carano and like the dog from uh, what is that Rescue Pups or whatever, uh, the um, cop, uh, the cop what dog is it? or whatever. Uh, Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol. There you go. And uh, a couple other. Oh, it was like uh, Uncle Ben and Aunt Jemima, 
and all of these things like in the clouds welcoming mr potato head into the clouds and it's just like their ability what to get worked up about shit hell? that doesn't affect their lives in any way at all. If you go to the grocery store, does it really matter if the box of rice you pick up or the box of pancake mix you pick up either has a, a very obsolete, outdated, racist icon in the front of it or if it says Pearl Milling Company in the exact same font and color scheme? You're going to buy the fucking pancakes. It because let's face it, you're not making pancakes from scratch, you ignoramus. No, it, 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 you know, it affects your life 0.00%, but you, you just want to get all up in arms about it because it gives you an excuse to, to get to wring your that, hands and call the left somebody else. Guys the, and... the, oh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a white conservative man and the culture is very slowly and gradually moving away from centering on me, <laughs> you know, in ways that, that irritate me, but don't actually affect my life at all. However, could incrementally at least improve the lives of marginalized people like you know people in the lgbtq community or people of color and we can't fucking have that the culture must always say i remember reading something somewhere at one point that said that when you've been the dominant force in the culture for millennia anything that even approaches egalitarianism feels like oppression to you because you're losing an incremental tiny piece of the universe you know focusing on you as a default demographic right and that's absolutely right but Again, I told you, I said we wouldn't focus on, on this. I just thought it was a, just an inane piece of bullshit that centers around pop culture. I guess uh, Mr. Potato Head's pop sure. culture, so, you know. Oh, yeah. But, anyways, so now we've got just Potato Head. I welcome you, Potato Head. Wear whatever the fuck you want. You always have, and I, <laughs> I, I absolutely love your little potato ass for being just the the, uh, the completely diverse uh, piece of produce that you are. So good for you. And then um, a friend of ours, Shiloh Prychek, announced this week that uh, their new cabinet, the 1942 uh, Replicates cabinet, is coming out. And I know not a lot of you are into that, but I'm super into that, so fuck it, I'm going to talk about it. Um, hmm. And of course, I've been waiting for the other shoe to drop because uh, he's been doing these new uh, um, variants, uh, what he's calling the overhauled variants. And so uh, what those are meant to do is Matt Replicate is an arcade cabinet that's been, you know, sitting in an arcade for 30, 40 years and has taken some abuse and been repurposed or uh, shown love and attention and all that. And so uh, 1942 was going to be this really kind of unique shaped cabinet. And so I was kind of curious as to how he was going to do uh, an overhaul version of that. Um and they are, and what they're doing is they're making it a different shape. So, which of course takes it out of the realm of I can only buy the one. Now I gotta buy them both, and that's of gonna course. be absolutely ludicrously expensive. And I think he knows that, and I think he planned on that. And damn it, Shiloh, what are you doing to me here? But uh, it made it look they they put instead of like they redid the T molding on an oral arcade cabinet, they redid the controller and. Then they gave it like the, you know, have you seen the arcade cabinets that have been broken into? The coin slots have been broken into? Yeah. Uh, and pried open. So they've got like the big giant metal crossbar in front of it. They made it look like that and just, fuck. I just see dollar signs every time he posts something nowadays. And good for him. I mean, it's an independent <laughs> company. They're doing a fantastic job with. Uh, oh, they've with got my money. Cabinets. Jesus Christ. I mean, they've yeah. Got my money. Yeah. It, you know, if somebody puts together a product that is that. Um, it, for what it is, it's it's the best version of what it is. There's mm -hmm. you can go on to, to Amazon and buy any number of of tiny replica arcade cabinets that are fully functional and look great on a shelf and they're fun to play with. But when somebody, it's it's the Cadillac of that that concept, the de that the, form the, factor. the detail and the, the, the absolutely the attention to playability and things like that. Yeah, it's just second to none. So good on you, Shiloh. Good on you, New Wave Toys. You're gonna end up getting a whole chunk of my money again. So. And by way of follow-up on uh, previous podcast topics, uh, you and I have this this alarming tendency to um, record <laughs> episodes, and then a day or two later, and I send you these on Facebook, a, a new story will come out that would have been a great thing to reference in that particular uh, yep. episode. And because we record about a week before you bust your ass and get these things edited and uploaded, um, you know, it kind of sounds like a lot of the time that we're sort of behind on the news because we'll talk about <laughs> something on a podcast and then a big news story will come out, or at least a big entertainment world news story will come out that would have been great to reference had we had the information to be able to do it prior to recording <laughs> and then the podcast episode will upload and it looks like we're behind. So it, by way of follow-up, 
we talked on the cancel culture slash sparkling consequences episode about mm-hmm. celebrities who say dumb shit in public and and then are quote unquote canceled by the popular culture by by the nerds who are disappointed in their their bullshittery. Right. So we right. talked a little bit about um, Joe Rowling uh, and and how she has very disappointingly after being so very supportive of the LGBTQ community and making Dumbledore a very prominent gay pop culture character in her Harry Potter books, she's uh, not only come out and made some very transphobic statements, but also doubled down on those when challenged. And you talked about how there's a Hogwarts open world game coming up on the next-gen consoles that you yep. very much like to play, but you will not be giving her any more of your money as, as a way of voting with your wallet against her, her bigotry. Well, Correct. since we uh, uh, recorded that podcast, it's come out that the uh, lead designer on that Hogwarts game uh, used to run an anti-social justice YouTube channel. So as reported on Kotaku, a guy named Troy Levitt, who is a lead designer at Warner Brothers Development Studio, Avalanche Software, who's currently working on the controversial Harry Potter game Hogwarts Legacy, he ran a reactionary YouTube channel focused on attacking feminism and social justice for over a year. And oh, he so put him up and videos... Joe would get along great. Oh, yeah. He, he put up videos with titles like The Injustice of Social Justice, In Praise of Cultural Appropriation, and Are Thought Crimes Becoming Real? So In it's not just of cultural appropriation. Uh huh. Oh. oh yeah, cultural appropriation could be another whole episode. But uh, it, it seems as though the the rot in the ranks over at the Potterverse is not just coming from the Queen Bee herself. It seems it, to be it's uh, systemic. Yeah, Jesus. which is really sad for for a universe that meant so much and still means so much to so many people. For them to be on the tip of uh, of just being really. Of just hiring people who who have ugly attitudes about societal issues, it's just very disappointing. Well, on the plus side, I think uh, they say that change is noisy because it's the, the 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 death cry of the old way of thinking, and so I'm really yeah. I'm emboldened by the fact that this change in in this more accepting attitude towards uh, all all members and all manners of people being. You know, who they love, how they love, uh, yeah. who they represent, their color, their race, their gender, their sexual identity. The fact that we're being more and more open and accepting of it and seeing more of more of it pop up. Uh, and actually seeing the, the, the hand-wringing from all of the people opposed to it, I think is a good thing in a small degree. Because, first of all, it lets us see all of the people that are, uh, well, tone-deaf at very minimum and, you know, outwardly bigoted towards the end of it. But it also, uh, it's the I think it's kind of the death knell of that way of thinking, and I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I just think it's extra disappointing when it pops up in geek culture because, as we talked about on the first episode of this season, uh, punch the Nazi, always punch the Nazi. It, geek culture has always, because geeks and, and nerds and, and 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 the like have always kind of been shuttled to a a lower quote unquote lower tier of societal acceptance. Whether you're talking whatever you're, you know, the nerds. Nerd culture is coming into its own, otherwise we wouldn't be able to have this podcast. But nerds have always, to an extent, <laughs> been kind of marginalized and picked on and, and, and relegated to the social cast of misfits. So it's just extra disappointing when this shit pops up in geek culture. Because geeks have always needed and, and found a place to feel safe in the great diversity of, of D&D, of Harry Potter, of comic books. As we talked about on the first episode... Um, the Star Trek universe, Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek universe, and also Stan Lee and, and the Marvel universe he in large part helped create, have always been subtly pushing the idea of, of, in, of inclusivity and egalitarianism. Uh, whether you're talking about the, the great war between mutants and humans, or whether you're talking about you know, the, the interracial kiss on the, on the, on the first, uh, the OG Star, Star Trek episodes. Geek culture has always embraced people who were sort of rejected by the mainstream. So for... Joe Rowling to come out and say that she's transphobic. It's just, it, 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 it adds layers of disappointment based on the culture that she claims and the culture that embraced her. So no, it's just I a get giant that. bummer. I get that. It, and it is a bummer. But the fact of the matter is, is like I said, it feels like it's kind of a death knell for it. It feels like society by and large, with the exception of those, you know, hand-wringing white supremacist dickheads, uh, it seems to be you know, on its way out, we seem to be more culturally focused on acceptance. And I'm hoping that that's 
the case. I'm hoping that that sticks around because the fact that there is such a giant outcry whenever it happens and previously in, in, in years and decades past, it used to just be sort of like tolerated and swept under the rug. I think that really is the beginning of the end for this stuff because as a culture, we're just not putting up with it anymore. And people like Gina Carano or Joe Rowling who've, who've, who've expressed these horrible things and then doubled down on them when challenged, they're getting pushed to the edges now. So I, you're Thank absolutely fuck. right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is to the point now where we're just not putting up with that shit anymore. Nor should we have to. I, I, I mean, I've rather enjoyed seeing a lot of the different uh, inclusions that we've gotten. Uh, I mean, some of them are, are easygoing and some of them make a lot of sense. Some of them feel a little bit forced. But, I mean, by and large, it's something that needed to happen. So I'm excited it. where it's going to go. and. Uh, Change is messy, change is loud, and, uh, but it is necessary. And, and it's like anything else. I, th- I, I kind of look at it on the level of being like societal surgery. Surgery is painful. It's traumatic to the system. But after a period of healing, the organism goes forward and, and is better for having had that happen. So it's, it's going to be tough for a little while. But it, yeah, it same as like chemotherapy. Of, yeah, same as like exactly. chemotherapy, yeah. Because, because sometimes the medicine does hurt. Sometimes the medicine mm-hmm. does uh, cause illness. Sometimes it... Sometimes it causes it short-term work. trauma for long-term right. benefit, and I think that's what we as a society are feeling right now. Absolutely. Anyways, so that wasn't even the whole thrust of the conversation for today. That's Hell's just no. kind of just catching up, and, and I like to kind of do that every now again. But uh, the kind of the thing that I was looking at, and, and I do a lot of watching of um, pop culture things revolving around superheroes. So whether it's the MCU, the DCEU... Um, we got all the different stringers, like the boys on Amazon Prime, um, and all the different various superhero things that aren't tucked in neatly into those, those two categories. Uh, one thing seems to be ever present, and that is, holy shit, property damage, destruction, loss of life. It's catastrophic. And... I, I try to put that, I mean, because you look at one movie and you're like, okay, so uh, they attacked New York. And, and let's let's take Avengers, for instance. In Avengers, the Chitauri invaded and attacked New York City specifically. And, uh, okay, so if we just say one little capsule, New York City. That's a lot of damage. Yeah. That's a lot and, of destruction. And, and not just on the surface damage, but uh, given that the, the property values and the construction rates are so high in New York, it's, it's uh, exponentially elevated because of, of how expensive things are in, in Manhattan. And speaking exponentially, look at, uh, that's just one instance. Mm-hmm. Now, if we were to take comic book movies as a whole, if you look at the great grand scheme of the MCU since about 2008 when Iron Man was introduced... Uh, you've got major events. Uh, what is it? S- several company headquarters. Stark headquarters was destroyed. Uh, Hammer headquarters was destroyed. Uh, Pym Industries was destroyed. New York Tony Stark's was... cliffside Malibu mansion was reduced to rubble and dumped right. into the ocean. Right. And that's not even Manhattan, but no, that's Malibu. Well, who cares what happens in Malibu? No. Ah, nobody. But no, but I mean, we're looking at earth-shattering events on like a regular basis. You've got things like. The helicarriers going down in Winter Soldier. You've got Sokovia in uh, in, in Ultron, Age of The Ultron. whole fucking city was levitated oh, in the city. air and dropped. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of what I wanted to look at was there's a varying degree and a scale of all of the different types of damages. And I've kind of broken it down into six different categories. And I haven't shared my notes with you because I just wanted to kind of get your fresh take on this. But Hey, spontaneity is the devil's volleyball. Let's serve it. <laughs> so I broke it down into six categories. Vandalism, vehicular, home, city infrastructure, citywide, and world killing. Wow. So that, that's kind of the, the categories of catastrophes that I've set aside and, and wanted to kind of look at. Uh, in regards to uh, not just necessarily comic uh, movies, not necessarily just TV shows, we can get into like actual comic books themselves. It's a little easier um, when uh, trying to weigh out the damages and everything. But categories of catastrophe to... would also be a really good name for a heavy band. <laughs> nice, I like that. 
But uh, I kind of wanted to, to delve into the various different mm, damages that can be caused to a world with these super-powered individuals and kind of how that world would be forced to deal with them. We're going to take a real short break, and when we come back, let's start delving into the categories here of the categories of catastrophe. Let's do it. Feel Your Fandom Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. So now let's get down into the nitty-gritty, the dirty of the categories of catastrophe for uh, comic book-related worlds and, and, and I don't know how you want to say that, realities, multiverses, whatever. Uh, The categories of of catastrophe for these different uh, genres of media. So the first I had was... Uh, vandalism. Now that's going to be your simple acts like, okay, so the Joker's going around Gotham City. He's spray painting Joker fish everywhere. He's mm-hmm. putting, you know, ha 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 all over the billboards. Nobody gives a shit about vandalism. Vandalism happens anyways, right? I mean, any city you go to is going to have tags business. and murals and graffiti. It's just something that you're, if any city of any density or size, you're going to have either intentional or incidental public art on any kind of surface you can't, you know, nail down. And I work most in, of the ones you can nail down. Well, right. I work for the rail yards, and it's amazing how many uh, uh, murals and, 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 and tags you see scrawled on the side of train cars, which, oh, yeah. first of all, I mean, some of them are fucking incredible. Yeah, they are genuine <laughs> works of art. Uh, the ones I never understood are the ones on bridge overpasses. How the fuck do they do that? Do they just dangle by wires? They got a Spider-Man over the side, or else they got to learn how to do it upside down and backwards. How do they not get caught? I've always you, wondered. You wonder. That. You wonder because you know the definition of an overpass is that it's over a busy highway. If there wasn't a busy highway underneath it, you wouldn't need the overpass. So there's constantly, at all times of day and night, cars going underneath. You'd think somebody would see some redneck schmendrick dangling over the side <laughs> with a can of rustoleum, painting his girlfriend's name on the cement. You'd think, but I mean, and and some of them are just, like I said, absolutely intricate, and it's just yeah interesting. But but at the same time, now. We uh we talk about damages caused by that and and that kind of da- just minimal damage caused by that. Sure, there's cleanup costs associated with with vandalism and graffiti, power um, washing, sandblasting. But the as far as uh, vandalism goes, I would venture to say it veers more towards like broken windows, or uh, maybe small fires or or, or minimal damage, uh, human level yeah. damage. It's something that we see in our day-to-day society now. It doesn't require superhuman intervention. Uh, and in fact, uh, I, I started thinking about things like uh, the 1989 Batman movie with uh, mm-hmm. uh, that parade that the Joker threw with uh, uh, the fucking uh, the gas and the, the yeah. money just raining from the sky and everything. Yeah, okay, so just take your basic cost of a ticker tape parade plus, you know... Some broken windows, maybe some broken bones, maybe some medical costs for the trample and stampede that happened after that. But I, I don't see vandalism as a, as a big, huge uh, cause or, or financial burden. In terms and, of crime, even in the real world, uh, completely divorced from comic book fantasy, vandalism is not a victimless crime, but it's largely harmless in terms of human cost and... Uh, and the sort of like the the effort it takes to to mitigate it, it's just something. It's a very street level thing. It doesn't really hurt much of anything. You get a little paint on something, you get a broken window. These are things that are easily replaced. They're a nuisance. They're more than actual crime right. or damage. Not that I'm encouraging it, but uh, it's definitely something that is pretty far down on the scale of of of, of really bad damage. If you're talking about like large, especially as compared to some of the shit we'll be getting to in a minute. Right. Now, and, and I kind of want to also throw in there, just as a peripheral, uh, maybe like Iceman. You know, you know Iceman rides around on yeah. ice slides. Mm-hmm. That shit's got to melt sometime. 
and your uh, sewer system had better be able to handle uh, the excess hundreds water, of thousands yeah. of gallons of water melting suddenly in the middle of August and rushing into the gutters. <laughs> or something maybe like uh, poison ivy's plants overrunning, yeah. and then all of a sudden you need a, a tree service to come and trim back all the vines and everything. So I mean, In the grand scheme, these are kind of small things, but they are nuisances that you would have to deal with in a, in a city that actually had real superheroes. And the thing, the reason that I bring all of this up, in fact, is just because it always seems like this kind of stuff is so often overlooked. I mean, things like uh, superhuman life, death, and rebirth, we kind of discussed before, and, and it's kind of a thing that seems to be like one of the major key tropes of comic books. But what they never really talk about is the damage that's left behind. So that's kind of what brought that back to my opinion. And and me and the wife were watching. It was like one of those. Uh, uh, Liberty Mutual or State Farm commercials, I don't know, they come on while we're watching Hulu, and and uh, uh, I want to say that we're just like in the middle of watching a superhero show, and it's like, well, who cleans up after the Hulk? I mean... Yeah, when you've got a like guy that. the size of a couple of horses stapled together, and he's punching another guy even bigger than he is through a building, uh, what if you go to work on Monday morning, and you've been away, maybe on a ski trip or something, and you, you haven't uh, been paying attention to the news, <laughs> and suddenly you get back to your office... And there's a Volkswagen-sized hole in the wall where your your desk used to be. Right. Or, or like, uh, and, and we were watching WandaVision like everybody right now. WandaVision is uh -huh. preeminent. It's freaking amazing. Uh, as it sits right now, we just watched episode eight. Eight? I think yeah. it's eight. Previously on. Yeah. Which was uh, some, uh, one of the single best episodes of television I've ever seen on any genre. I was literally sitting up going, holy shit, holy shit. Yeah, yeah, Marvel so. is not fucking around anymore. They actually, you no. know, between the um, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which sort of tied in, and the street-level Netflix stuff, your Punisher, your your Daredevil, your Jessica Jones, your, your Luke Cage, these are great shows, and I enjoyed them, this but they did not ties in. ever it's, tie... It's yeah, they didn't tie into the larger MCU as... as stringently as they were as we were all as fans promised they would but marvel has has come out and made it they stink they, they put their foot down and very clearly said hey you know what these shows are not necessarily going to be peripheral tertiary pieces of entertainment anymore these are just as much mandatory viewing as the movies are because we're going to make major universe impacting moves on the small screen and yep. you better set aside some binge time to catch up otherwise you're going to miss giant developments and i it's applaud them for that yeah, absolutely. And I was sitting there thinking particularly, now this is a few weeks old, so I think we're past the spoiler moratorium, but if you haven't seen WandaVision, definitely go out and watch it. Uh, there was a scene where a character, I'm not going to say who and I'm not going to say by who, but gets punched through like several walls. Mm -hmm. Alright, so that brings us, vehicular is the next category that I want to talk about. And vehicular is one of the earliest ones that we ever became aware of, because anybody who remembers the original appearance of Superman in Action Comics, it's a very famous cover of Superman hoisting a car over his head and, and throwing it, presumably, out of frame at something or at someone. And it's, uh, you know, it was one of those 40s cars, which were the size of, of economy apartments now. <laughs> so you know that car was going to do some major damage to whatever it hit, and the car itself was probably going to be a total loss. Well, as a point of clarity, I think he was catching the car in the first Superman issue. I can't say for sure, but it looked like he was catching it and not throwing it. But, be that as it may, um, yeah, there's a whole lot of instances of uh, the Hulk stepping on cars, jumping on cars, crashing Tanks, cars. Tanks, airplanes. Batting cars out of the way. There's a lot of vehicular damage in... Uh, comic book continuity and in fact I used to work for uh, State Farm and I know a couple of us had these discussions uh, while we were on lunch breaks and shit like that and and the comic the question always kind of ran to first of all we know it's a total loss that's mm -hmm. fine we understand that but there's got to be some kind of writer in the contract that specifies how it's going to get handled and I was actually reading an article about this now hold on a second bear with me well, maybe we'll get to the uh, the insurance portion of things here after a little while. But be that as it may, we talked um, about, you know, who would cover what, what would get covered by the insurance company, what would be considered an act of God, things like that. Um, it's, it's <laughs> In some such cases, a, we're talking about actual gods. If Thor drops gods, his yeah. hammer on your car, uh, then, you know, it's an <laughs> act of God. But in, in very few cases, can you actually uh, depose or... Or subpoena the god him or herself to show up in court and talk about why they dropped their mythical hammer on your Toyota. Right. And, and also, would your rates go up 
I mean, what would your premiums look like uh, if you lived... <laughs> well, like, for instance, let's say you lived in... Well, here's a hokey term. Uh, let's say you lived in Smallville, where not a lot of things usually happen. Smallville, Kansas, uh, Superman, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, versus living in Metropolis. If we're going to stick with Superman, we'll stick with Superman. So, let's say you lived in Smallville. Would your rates be lower than when you lived in Metropolis and you had to all these different you know superhero flights and tights running around... Absolutely, uh, it would, and, and and that kind of leads me it's, it's to something that I, I I kind of made a mental note to try and get to at this point. I have lived in very dense urban areas, and I've lived in very rural areas, and the insurance rates just on car insurance alone, the difference is is massive. I think I paid somewhere in the neighborhood of one hundred and twenty dollars a month for car insurance when I lived in uh, L.A., and now that I'm back in a much smaller town, I pay thirty eight dollars a month for car insurance. When you've got Clark Kent, if Clark Kent dragged Doomsday out to the middle of a field in Smallville and started punching him up, you might hit a barn, but you're going to mostly just tear up a couple of acres of, of, of farmland, which is valuable, certainly. It's the breadbasket of America, and it feeds the people. But, you know, you don't... When you've got movies and, and comic books that are set in cities, it's just more interesting. It's more exciting to show the Hulk or Superman or somebody punching a big beefy antagonist through a building than it is to see him punching each other up in a field where you're not going to be able to see as much actual impact of what they're doing as you might otherwise. And I think that's to a large extent why a lot of the time these movies show like the Chitauri attack of New York or uh, L.A. getting damaged. I remember I watched uh, not too long ago for uh, a friend's podcast, I watched... um, the Godzilla movie. I don't remember which one it was. It was a couple years old now. Not the most recent one, but the one before that, where Godzilla was uh, was walking through, trying to get to where they store the nuclear waste in Nevada, somewhere in like Area 51. And I lived in Nevada. I lived in Las Vegas. And Las Vegas is a very dense urban area, but most of it outside of the Strip is pretty low to the ground. So there was a scene in that movie where Godzilla is trying to get to the nuclear waste stored at the the military base outside of Las Vegas and Godzilla is shown walking down the strip in Nevada. (laughs) Now, even a lizard, whether or not they're the size of, of a building, uh, has enough sense usually to occupy the path of least resistance. But here we have Godzilla marching through, you know, it's, it's a city, but it's mostly low to the ground except for the strip. And here's Godzilla taking the (laughs) absolute Nevada is 98% empty. I've been there. I lived there for a couple of years on and off. So for Godzilla to make the conscious choice to march down the path of absolute... Mo- There's one street in Vegas that has buildings big enough to impede a monster the size of Godzilla, and it's Las Vegas Boulevard. So for Godzilla <laughs> to march down that, shouldering and stomping, trying to get through it in order to get to the nuclear waste, even the most basically intelligent of animals would go, well, I'm just going to skirt right around this because it's a big city, it's dense population-wise, but it's got a pretty small footprint. So if Godzilla had even the tiniest walnut-sized lizard brain, Godzilla would want to march around Las Vegas on the way to the nuclear waste. But no, here we have Godzilla marching down the only street in the entire city, basically in the entire state, that has buildings bigger than, than Godzilla is, for no other reason except for the fact that we can pull back and get a wide shot of smoldering building corpses and helicopters hovering over the strip with giant bites taken out of like MGM and Bellagio and the strategy. I, I swear to God we have this fucking fetish fetishization of of damage and destruction and, and and Michael Bay esque explosions and and catastrophe and and it's like I don't know why we fetishize this and it's like if you're to look at it like a one off movie like uh like Deep Impact or Armageddon. The, the the damage happens, it's done. Okay? Yeah. But if you look at something like the MCU or the DCEU or any it's of these It's ongoing other, and constant. Continually ongoing and constant. How would we ever recover from something like that? Now, we go into home as well. Home and city, we're going to kind of go, kind of lump into the two categories because I think we stopped and did every category. Yeah, because 9-11, they, they dumped the towers, and how long did it take them to get their placement up? 8, 9, 10, 11 years? Uh, it was a smoldering crater for years. And it's interesting that you mentioned that. Now, I was doing a lot of research into this, and, and I guess we're just going to kind of skip ahead to all of them at once. We're just going to kind of talk about damage in general. Yeah. Um, I was reading an article that talked about uh, the damages caused by uh, Man of Steel. 
the first mm-hmm. uh, Zack Snyder foray into the Superman mythology. Uh, Metropolis gets fucked, and I yeah. and I apologize for Deeply. repeatedly using that word, but there's no other one that really applies. <laughs> uh, Smallville gets screwed up. Uh, New York or, or Metropolis? I'm sorry, it's not New York. It's Metropolis. Oh, uh, we gotta be uh, careful. M- Metropolis gets jacked. There was a company that did an article with BuzzFeed, uh, Watson Technical Consulting, uh, who did uh, a, a kind of a mock uh, consultation for damage, cut, recovery, and repair from uh, Man of Steel. And now here's the estimates that I got from them. If you want to yell at anybody about the numbers, don't yell at me. I didn't make this shit up. <laughs> uh, I, I read it in an article, same as you can do. But... Uh, so would you want to venture a guess uh, as to how many people died as a result of Doomsday's attack on Metropolis in Man of Steel? Based on the amount of cars I saw got thrown around and the amount of walls that collapsed, I would say it's probably got to be at least in... I'm going to say the over-under on that's got to be three to 500 people. Okay. According to uh, Watson Technical Consulting, in this article that I read, uh, 129,000 thousand people would have been estimated holy killed. shit well and we're talking holy wide shit. widespread damage and and stuff that nobody could have prepared for there was no escaping it there's no bomb shelters you could have gotten to in time there was no it's just wherever you are that's where you're forced to deal with it and so uh 129,000 deaths now i remember they, reading something about that at the time that a lot of people in the fandom were pretty pissed off at uh, snyder and company for having a death toll that was higher than it should have been in a Superman movie. Superman, who is famously a big blue Boy Scout, as uh, I think um, right. Batman called him in Frank Moore's Dark Knight Returns, he called him the, the big blue Boy Scout, uh, for Superman to have not just you know grabbed him and dragged him into outer space and punched him into the fucking moon or something. Superman has the ability to do that, and, and in that instance actively must have chosen not to. Just to not right. grab him by the lips and drag him into outer space, uh, just so that we could have an exciting fight scene. But the death toll—that's way higher than I just estimated it to be, and that's and, kind of inexcusable. And that's just the death toll. Now, the only thing they focused on with, with, with the big controversy surrounding uh, Man of Steel when it came out was, oh my God, Superman! Now, this has been this is a spoiler here, but this is like forever fucking old. You're fine. Uh, he snaps Doomsday's neck. Snaps Gen- yeah. Oh no, it was General Zod before it was mm-hmm. Doomsday because Doomsday came later. Okay, so I, rec- I recount everything I just said. So it was a fight with General Zod. Uh, ends up with 129,000 people killed. But the only thing they focused on in the media was the fact that Superman snapped this guy's neck. Yeah. Um, in addition to the 129,000 killed, there was also 250,000 who were reported missing, or who wow. would have been reported missing, and the total. Property damage in Metropolis. Would you care to venture a guess? I, I would think we're talking. If, if we can assume that Metropolis, being an analog of Manhattan, property values are roughly the same, some of the highest in the world. I would say we're looking at probably somewhere in the neighborhood of five to seven billion dollars. Mm. I'm going to have to scale you up there a little bit, my friend. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Here- it again. <laughs> here's the dam. Okay, here's the damages uh, from Metropolis, and then I'm going to weigh at you what you think the damages from actual 9/11 were. Okay, so uh, the damages from Metropolis weighed in at 700 billion. That because is that city was widespread destroyed, but it's it's hardly ever mentioned. Uh, yeah. Now, would you care to venture a guess as to what 9/11 costs uh, in average to the city of New York? Well, let me see. I know we lost uh, more than 3,000 people uh, because that number's been coming up quite a bit in the media as of late to, uh, as, as a by way of contrasting how many people are losing to COVID every day. Uh, right. At least a 9-11's worth of people every day on average. Some days higher, some days lower, and we're on the decline with that, but still it's pretty tragic. So in terms of human costs, we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,500 people. I know we lost something like four buildings total. Um, and they were some of the bigger buildings in New York. So I would say World Trade Center uh, plus the, the sort of other buildings on that site in that complex, I know there were at least four buildings. So I'm going to say somewhere in the neighborhood of, I'm going to revert back to my previous figure and say 3 to $5 billion. $55 billion. 
Jesus. See, this is why I don't go into insurance or real <laughs> estate crazy. because I clearly undershoot. It's crazy. So I can't 55. even think. I can't even conceive of numbers that high. Uh, so, so way the damage of nine eleven towards the seven hundred billion that they were apparently lost in in uh, in Metropolis, and so the total. Cal better have some pretty good insurance. The total economic impact is said to be around two trillion dollars for uh, the movie Man of Steel. Which I is wonder what bit, the GDP is big, of the fictional version of America in the DCEU. Well, right. I mean, I'm kind of wondering, you know, what what recovers from that? Where do you where do you go from that, you know? How do you come up with the kind of scratch you'd need to replace an entire city the size of Metropolis slash New York City? Luthor is not that wealthy. I mean, he's just basically your Zuckerberg, so... If, if you add in, like, Zuckerberg, Warren Buffett, Warren Ellison, or uh, uh, the guy from... Larry Ellison. I don't even know his name. Uh, you're sort Elon of like Musk. top five... Elon Musk, yeah. Bill Gates. You're sort of top five Jeff Bezos marquee billionaires in this country. You still don't uh, touch that $2 trillion. No, you don't. You don't get anywhere close to it. That's ridiculous. So, uh, and that's just that's just the one. Now we look at something like uh, Sokovia in mm-hmm. uh, the Age of Ultron. An uh, entire city in the air. One hundred and seventy-seven people reported killed. Which is when you have to weigh it like that and say, "Oh, that's not so bad." It's still horrible. in the grand scheme it's, of things that could be a lot worse. It's it's horrible. I mean, dude picked up a city, uh huh, and then dropped it. So, I mean. 177 people is light. It's a lot, but comparatively. Um, $487 billion worth of damages. And that's specifically because he wiped out a whole city. Infrastructure and everything. Yeah. Crater in the ground. Yeah. That's all that's uh, left. And that, that's also kind of sad if you really want to talk about, um, you know, one of the really granular aspects of that being that what we value certain patches of land to be valued at versus what other ones are. Sokovia, obviously a fictional country. Um, Metropolis, obviously a fictional city. But there are real-world analogs in New York State and in Eastern Europe. So we can sort of, like, on some level, figure out which ones they were referring to. And when you're talking about an entire city being levitated in the air versus large chunks of another city getting destroyed, and one being valued at only about a quarter of the other, it sort of brings into... To, uh, to, to, to focus a lot of things like economic equality and class disparity. Well, right, and you also got to look at things like you didn't only just use buildings and infrastructure, you also lost cultural identity, yeah. history, things like that, things that are irreplaceable too. So Completely. it's really difficult to, to measure the kind of damage that was done just economically. If you want uh, to look at just the amount of damage and cultural damage and, and financial damage that was done in, say, like the Notre Dame fire, where countless uh, uh, classic pieces of architecture... Uh, or aspects of architecture and works of art were completely destroyed by that fire and then extrapolate that to being an entire city with culture and art and music and people and an identity and you start to get a sense at least of the 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 scope of how far reaching these things can be right uh we look at things like uh new york uh during the battle of new york they estimated at 18.8 billion dollars in damages and 74 people killed which again, you got to look back and then go oh, for an alien invasion. That's not too fucking bad, you know. I mean, could have been a lot people, worse. When you know, Tony Stark Hulk is trying could to could have done a, that uh, many. Yeah, it could have been worse had Tony not, you know, done the self-sacrificing thing of flying the nuclear warhead into the outer space portal hole. And then uh, I was looking at uh, and and just kind of the last uh, as far as citywide damages and infrastructure damages that I was looking at was uh, Gotham City during Batman Begins, mm-hmm. three hundred thousand dollars in damages. Just eluding the police in the Tumblr, that first uh, appearance of the Tumblr Batmobile. Uh, and that's for cop cars destroyed, buildings destroyed, brick walls gone through, roofs driven over, uh, things like that. And, and so that's kind of the, the damage total for that. But really, 300,000. That's not too bad. Wayne could pull Seems that out of his low pocket Seems kind of low in the things. Yeah. yeah. That's one instance where the person that caused the damage could probably go a long way towards helping to foot the bill oh, for fixing it. Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. The Wayne Foundation recognizes this terrible affront by the Batman and will will seek to recover the city for the damages. <laughs> oh, thanks, uh, Mr. Wayne. That's very, uh, very gentlemanly of you. I mean, for someone who didn't have a stake in it, that's very nice of you. You know. Yeah. But, uh... 
So yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of where we're left with, and uh, the damage done to, to Metropolis seems to be one of the outliers, but I mean, this kind of damage and destruction happens all the time in the comic books. Uh, I, I, I'm brought back to the show uh, The Boys, which I don't know if you've watched The Boys, but... Boys is uh, fantastic, I love it. Jesus, it's so well written. And I've went back and read all the comic books afterwards, too, and it's absolutely spot on. And the fact of the matter is, is that world is a world with superheroes who... I mean, in in main comic continuity, yeah, you got your Supermans, your Batmans, your X-Men, your Spider-Mans. They all give a shit. But there's not yeah. shit they can do about it, really. No, Spider-Man is, uh, is very was created for the purpose of, of sort of demonstrating uh, what a an ordinary person who just lived in an apartment in Queens would, would have to deal with to be very relatable with very human problems with money and with family and all that. So, like, when you have a scene... And again, spoiler alert, don't stop listening if you haven't played the Miles Morales game on PS5. You got three mm, seconds, three, so good. two, so good. one. Fast forward 30 seconds on your podcast app. But there's a scene <laughs> where Miles and Peter are riding the rhino's back as he charges through downtown Manhattan and completely decimates an entire shopping mall, to say nothing of the, <laughs> the fuel tank that explodes and the, the Roxxon power plant that is just about uh, crumbled to the ground by the destruction of, of one guy in a super-powered rhino suit charging through the foundation of it. Well, Peter I mean, can't flip that bill. No, fuck no. And, and, and I'm thinking, of, you made me think of uh, Blues Brothers when you talked about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that drive through the mall. Uh, and I'm that's sure that's a, what it was inspired by. Oh, I might might have been, but... But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, we've got a lot of damages that have been caused uh, over the course of everything, and, and it doesn't seem to be like anything that's going to go away. Uh, and the boys, of course, shows us uh, superheroes who just don't give a shit. No, um, because Everything they don't is to. collateral damage to them. They don't care. They, they but, think uh, of themselves as the superior race, much like the mutants do in the X-Men mythology, so they, don't, they, they, they see humans as ants, and... Their problems are of no concern to them, so they just do whatever they want because they're gods and they can get away with it. Absolutely. And uh, the thing that I want to focus on next, and, and we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back I want to focus on like the insurance aspect of things, uh, and we'll get into the uh, to the meat and potatoes of the end of the conversation here that way. So uh, I want you to stick around. We'll be right back uh, with more Death, destruction, and despair. Bum, bum, bum. Feel your fandom podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. So now, as we talked about before, and I kind of alluded to before, and and I kind of pussyfooted around it, and I, I was trying not to bring it up in the middle of everything, but we talk about insurance. Uh, I did take, uh, I, I did work in insurance for a number, like about a year, uh, doing uh, uh, auto insurance intake and, and and things like that, initial loss reporting for auto accidents and things of that nature. And so uh, the conversation always went towards. You know, geek culture, we talk about things like, what happens if the Hulk throws your car? Or, you know, what would it be covered if, like you said, Thor dropped his hammer on your Toyota hatchback? Uh, we're going to call that a total loss, but does that fall under act of God? And When geeks I mean, are bored at work, they always have those clerk-style conversations. Like, how many contractors you suppose died in the Death Star explosion? All of them. <laughs> but, uh, you think the average stormtrooper knows how to install a toilet main? All they know is killing in white uniforms. <laughs> and, but that's that's exactly that deep granular conversation that actually yeah. does happen and, and and the fact of the matter is we were talking about it and it's like who would cover like like we said uh, your insurance rates in Ma in uh, manhattan or in uh, uh metropolis would be astronomical um versus maybe you're like topeka kansas where you don't have any uh, superheroes to speak of, you know, maybe there's not a whole lot of super crime. Yeah, but with Smallville cr Barn probably costs, you know, maybe ten, fifteen thousand dollars and so your insurance premiums are ten bucks. Meanwhile you live in Metropolis and my oh I I, I own an office building in downtown Metropolis. My insurance premium sixty nine thousand dollars a month. 
and it, I mean, and it sounds like we're being flip about that, but really, just the cost of living in New York now, as it sits, is astronomical, yeah. and only going I, up, and only going up. Now, add to that <clears throat> the fact that you have all these buildings that would have to have these exorbitant premiums on it, and multiple insurances to cover damage, and I mean, you're talking. There's an. It, it wouldn't pay it wouldn't be a good system to be in and 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 the article i was reading and i'm gonna i'm gonna do a little bit of quoting specifically from this article uh and this is the article i was talking about with the avengers assemble it's called avengers assemble an insurance bailout uh written by zachary feinstein back in 2016 uh for the washington university in st louis there you've gotten your proper credit i just want to make sure you got that um and he states that uh, property damages over a five-year period in the Avengers movies, specifically, vaulting well into the hundreds of billions, on top of the usual claims, it is unlikely that the major insurance companies could survive or sustain. In 2008, the U.S. government bailed out the insurance giant AIG to the tune of $180 billion. <sighs> Thus, once losses reached into the hundreds of billions, which was greatly surpassed by the, that time, by the events of Ant-Man uh, and Iron Man, insurance companies would need to be bailed out again. All of them. Does Hulk throwing a tank through my building meet my deductible this month? <laughs> now it says, however, the insurance companies would fight to minimize their exposure. And this is something that I wanted to bring up because it's something that happens in day-to-day -day life. Whether it's you've got a pre-existing condition and your insurance won't cover you. Or... Uh, any kind of stipulation that you overstepped and then your insurance is like, well, wipe my hands of that. that insurance companies us. are there to help you. They're there to be a safety net in case of emergency, but they're also a business, a for-profit business, and they're going to try and minimize their losses. Very famously in the healthcare industry, in the healthcare insurance industry at least, there right. have been many articles that have come out the last couple of years that I read that are arguing, I guess, in favor of universal healthcare, and they talk about how the death panels that the conservatives warned about years ago have kind of come home to roost in a way with what the uh, the insurance companies do, where they actually add to their bottom line and they add stockholder value by monetizing human misery, by denying claims, by saying whatever it is that you're trying to get covered for your health so that you can live and, and be comfortable is, is not going to be covered because we need to make sure that our board gets their bonuses this year. Right. And they talk about, he says... Um Insurance companies would fight to minimize their exposure. Surrounding 9-11, insurance companies went to court over the question of if the terrorist attack were one or two events. Uh, following Hurricane Katrina, insurance companies went to court to avoid paying out for damages. In fact, Katrina has led to the tightening of insurance policies wording. Now, in the MCU, there would likely be very important court cases where the insurance companies would argue that the damages were caused by an act of war an act of terrorism, or an act of God. Additionally, when or lose, it's quite possible that the superheroes could be sued for liability in the destruction. Now, that brings to mind a couple of really good points. Uh, act of war? You're kind of always on the brink of war in the comic books, aren't you? For one degree or another? Well, you know, they would have you believe that. If you look at uh, any time that you have a superhero comic book arc or a series of movies... Just from an entertainment standpoint, you have to establish stakes. If there aren't stakes, the then they're really the fighting for nothing. Or, yeah. yeah. How many times have superheroes been called upon to save the world or save the galaxy? If you don't have stakes, if you don't have a something giant that hangs in the balance uh, for whether or not they succeed and what it is they're trying to do, evil is punished and the protagonist or the antagonist is sent back to outer space or wherever he or she came from. Uh, then you're not going to, the emotional impact is not going to be the same. You have to have a, and we talked about earlier how for entertainment value, sure, it's kind of like on some level sickly fun to see a building collapse because Godzilla mm -hmm. charged through it or because Hulk punched a tank through it. It's, it, but it does also give, the reason it's there from a storytelling, from a narrative standpoint, is to give you a sense of this is not just some skirmish. This is not a couple of, of dudes punching each other in the middle of the street trying to settle an argument. This is big stuff. This is the fate of the right. world or the fate of the universe. The right. fate of the galaxy hangs in the balance. You got Tony Stark flying a nuclear warhead through a hole in outer space. But in order to really bring home the damage and make it relevant to you as, a, as an audience member to project yourself into the role of somebody who might be affected by this tragedy, we have to show 
your car got stomped on, or the building you work in got leveled, or your house is on fire or got blown up. It sort of makes it relatable, because if you're talking about these giant Olympian godlike superheroes who aren't the heroes and the boys who look at humans as insects and we can do whatever we want, if you want to bring it home in a way that makes it visceral and makes it relevant to the audience, you have to kind of show what would the impact be to me versus just these these super-powered godlike creatures slugging it out in the sky. How would this affect me as a person, and why should I give a shit about what's happening on screen? Well, Mjolnir fell on my car. Well, and see, but you got to look at it like this. So you mentioned the word war, and you know yes. for sure the insurance company is going to be like, oh, sorry, that's not covered. Or yeah. if, you're, if your car got flipped over by Spider-Man versus your car got flipped over by Thor, mm-hmm. then they're going to be like, oh, sorry, that was an act of God. Or of a god, <laughs> a, a self-proclaimed god. god. <laughs> or in the case of of Thor, it could be either an act of God or an act of a deity or a uh, royalty from another dimension, which could bring to mind uh, uh, what is it they call? Oh, so not necessarily an act of God. So let's say they that it's not an act of God. Let's say you find a loophole in your claws on that, but then all of a sudden <laughs> he's got diplomatic immunity because he's. <laughs> He's not from around here. He's, he's royalty from another uh, state of being. And I remember so. years ago that sort of figuring in, um, uh, there was both in Marvel and DC, Joker at one point got named a, a, an ambassador to some country and he I, wound up killing somebody very Trumpian like shooting somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue. And he said, oh, diplomatic immunity, you can't do anything. And of course, diplomatic immunity has been one of the major character motivations of dr doom for dr. many doom, many years yeah. he can get away with anything because he's he is a uh, he's a representative of a foreign government and, and that specific government for uh, uh the joker was iran back at the time which is see i remember having read that in a book years ago now, but i did yeah. not i didn't remember which country it was or what the context was just that joker shot somebody and they couldn't do dick to him because he was a diplomat yeah they like showed him in the same panel as the ayatollah it was really weird um but the fact of the matter is, is, is you've got this legalese that would spring to action, and you got to believe that uh, the companies will be trying to skirt their responsibility any which way but loose. Because, I mean, let's face it, they're really they, not there to help you. I, I mean, they are and they're not. I don't know. But like, for instance, now there was a company in the Marvel comics uh, that was called Damage Incorporated. Yep. And Damage Incorporated was this construction company in New York City that was formed to clean up and repair from superhero uh, uh, fights. Uh, so they and you know if this stuff exists in the real world, there would definitely be a company that would stopgap in to, to come and, and try and, and make some money off of uh, collateral superhero damage. You know that would be the case. Well, look at what happened in Spider-Man 2 with the Vulture, uh, Michael Keaton's yeah. Vulture. Uh, just profiteering, coming in ostensibly cleaning up the damages but scooping up all the damn tech at the same time mm-hmm. i mean there, there's got to be some kind of profiteering involved in that as well so i mean now I that so. I, I say that all having not really read any of the damage incorporated books um there's sort of fringe titles in the in the, the marvel universe and and on right the, on the page although they i did have heard rumors that they're going to be bringing a damage incorporated series to disney plus after they sort of get wandavision uh falcon and winter soldier loki the the sort of marquee titles have already announced i re- have read scuttlebutt that they're kicking around the idea of of making a damage incorporated uh series which i guess would uh, the tone of it might be kind of like the boys in a way where it's very street level and very dealing with uh, we're just humans living in the superheroes world and we all have to try and get through our day without, uh, like in the tick, without a, a spaceship being dropped on our dad. <laughs> uh, the, the Amazon Prime tick series, which is excellent. Um, so there, there definitely would have to be some way to, to balance that out if superheroes actually existed in real meat space. And, and, and I think that that's kind of an interesting point now. We, the last category we're going to talk about was was the world ending, and of course that's you don't really have to worry about the damages left in the wake of a world ending event because yeah at that point there's no there's one to pay off to there's <laughs> nothing left I mean and, and it doesn't have to be superhero movies I mean you can look at things like uh, The Walking Dead and sure. realize that this is a catastrophic world changing event that you know it just changes the the very course of the being of the world so. 
you're knocked back to the stone age maybe and and have to start over again or like the last of us with the pandemic or you're talking like fallout with nuclear uh destruction there's we're sort of like in it like you said earlier there's 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 the destruction porn where we like watching sort of on some level we like seeing buildings fall down but this uh i've noticed kind of a a tapering off of post-apocalyptic entertainment uh since the stand on cbs all access notwithstanding or paramount whatever they're calling it now Notwithstanding, uh, pandemic stuff in the last year and a half has sort of really brought home the idea of uh, of the, the of apocalypse or destruction or, or post-apocalyptic whatever being maybe a little closer than we'd like to really comfortably think that it is. But <laughs> nonetheless, there are still there's always going to be that 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 genre of entertainment on on the page, on the screen, and video games that deals with people just trying to get by in a world that's completely fallen apart. Right, and and. The thing is, is what I've never really understood about comics continuity and comics culture and, and that is that we do have uh, all of this destruction, but it's almost overlooked because, I mean, minute to minute... What, what like difference does it make? It's not important to the story. It's important that the superheroes and the villains slug it out in the sky and that evil is punished and the good guy wins, but then you it's wake never up the addressed. next morning... Yeah. And there's just rubble. There's just endless rubble and loss of life and property damage and billions, if not trillions, lost. And nobody really ever thinks about that. We're just we're supposed to be. There's a famous meme that I've seen kind of uh, running around, and it's it's based on, uh, on on SpongeBob SquarePants, where I think if I remember right, it's SpongeBob and Patrick standing in front of a completely decimated bikini bottom, saying to each other, "Yay, we <laughs> saved the city! We saved the city!" And that just comes up in in in, uh, in several different. Uh, you're standing in front of a smoking pile of rubble with hundreds if not thousands of people buried underneath it thinking yeah we won sure but at what cost of blood and treasure yeah well i mean and that's kind of the point of the episode really i mean because there's such a widespread amount of damage in every single i mean not just now we're not okay you can even take it outside of the realm of comic books and i know we're kind of couched this all in 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 comic culture at this point but look at things like ghostbusters look at things like (laughs) uh uh, Blues Brothers, as previously to talk about. I mean, we don't have to go only go with Bill Murray movies, but very uh, famously, sure, when they come out of the ballroom after having captured the creature that came to know as Slimer and subsequent Ghostbusters properties, and the uh, the, the hotel manager, well, who's going to pay for all that? And Bill Murray's like, "Yeah, you're welcome. We could go let them out again after they've destroyed hundreds of thousands of dollars in chandeliers, crystal <laughs> table settings, wall treatments." Yeah, I mean, and and again, it's this. It's almost like a fetishization of. Uh, of destruction and yeah. it's, it's it's of course it's something Michael Bay has made his career on so good for him but yeah it's good uh, I know get it. I pick on Michael Bay a lot but you know he, he serves a very he, uh, he he's fills very a niche. niche in Hollywood yeah he definitely if, if Michael Bay did not exist in entertainment it would probably be necessary to invent him if for no other reason than like you said destruction porn people love seeing shit blow up they love seeing car chases and and trucks go over overpasses and crash into oncoming traffic below we we love to see that as much as, as we don't as, want to admit that we do we'd love to as see as long it. as it's not your car being picked up by superman and hurled at at, at doomsday or brainiac I well mean, what is the, the classic mel brooks quote of uh comedy is when i cut my finger but tra- no tragedy is when i cut my finger comedy is when you walk into an open sewer and die it's always funny as <laughs> or, or, or interesting as long as it's happening to somebody else right and i think and maybe that's kind of the reason that we we kind of gravitate towards those movies is because we know it's not something that's ever really going to affect us yeah uh, except barring those of us who have lived through uh you know bombings and 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 certainly tragic events there's there's definitely people on earth who have survived worse Sure, but if you look uh, at things like 9-11 or the Alfred Murrah bombing or any of the like the, the Boston Marathon bombing all the, or, or school shootings, any of the horrific, tragic things that have happened, they do seem to happen a lot, but we can so we can refer to those things as being uncommon events. We talk about 9-11, we talk about, outside of the we norm, talk about the Oklahoma yeah. City bombing. And whereas if you live in a, a world where there's superheroes, that kind of shit happens on a daily basis, if not weekly, if not daily. It's, it's just a common occurrence that you just have to kind of work around and try and live your life if you're in a place where, like you said, Hulk can just grab a Sherman tank by the turret and chuck it into outer space from where he's standing in the middle of Manhattan. Uh, Jim, are you going to be coming into work today? No, sorry. Uh, Hulk stomped on my car. Oh, well, we're going to need you back, man. Can you catch a bus? No, ironically, he kicked the bus, too. <laughs> he threw my car into the bus. That's why I can't get to work. I mean, I imagine it would cause a whole raft of problems. But the thing is, is I just I always kind of wondered, and I always kind of fascinated about the 
the the just the untold rampant destruction that takes place in these movies now the pragmatic and, realities and, of living in these universes right uh and the simple point of the matter is is you get those memes all the time that say oh you wake up in one uh fantasy universe which would it be fucking none of them yeah i would i wouldn't want to live in the in matrix I wouldn't no, want to live I'll... in Middle Earth. I wouldn't want to live in goddamn Metropolis. I wouldn't want to live, wouldn't in, want Gotham to live in the City. MCU unless I lived someplace like uh, what Topeka. Is, there's not a Smallville in the MCU, but I mean whatever the equivalent is in actual Kansas in the real MCU. You know, there's there's great stuff happening in cities. There's theater. There's restaurants. There's entertainment. But like you said, I mean, I can't come into work today because the entire subway line was blown up by a bomb, and Mister Incredible had to grab a train and. <laughs> or Spider-Man had to sit in the front of a of a subway car and throw webs out just to stop it from plummeting off of an overpass. Oh These yeah, I'm sorry, I'm late for I, work. Terrified. You think you're scared to leave the house because of COVID? Think of what you. Oh, I'm sorry. The building two blocks over got blown up by Shocker because he needed uh, a little bit of extra juice to punch Spider-Man into the middle of next week, and so he tapped into the the power supply, the grid on that block, <laughs> and that building blew the fuck up. I mean, that's the kind of shit that you think you think you're terrified to leave the house now. Try living in the Marvel universe. I'm sorry. I was on a ferry to work, and the vulture lasered the ferry in half, and my car fell into the door in the middle. And Spider-Man and... had to hold it together by suspending himself in the middle with webs. And you know, I lived, but uh, my my car is completely toast, and now I have to call the insurance company. Oh, and my work phone. Oh, my work phone was in the car. Shit. Well, you're gonna have to replace that. You think my, I, I'm sick, or my grandma died, or common overused excuses? Now try living in in Metropolis. And I'm sorry, the... my, my building doesn't exist anymore because Superman. <laughs> the Fantastic I'm gonna have to levitated my building into space. <laughs> I have to go to Sokovia and try and make sense of whatever rubble fell out of the sky because my ancestors are from there, my grandparents are from there, and I have to go and figure... I, nobody would ever get anything done. All the economic activity that would need to be generated to actually pay for all this damage would grind to a halt forever because there would be an infinite number of excuses for why you couldn't come the fuck into work. <laughs> I want to thank you guys all for listening to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom podcast. If you want to find us on Facebook, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Feel Your Fandom. You can also send us email at gmail, which is uh, feelyourfandom at gmail.com. If you have an idea for a show or want to be on the show, or if you uh, have any other comments about stuff like that, you can hit us up at fyftalentbooking at gmail.com, and we'll get that message and uh, talk to you about what you want to see on the show, especially if it's yourself or a friend. Absolutely. And uh, from the bottom of our heart, I just want to say thank you for listening again. And uh, if you have any comments, send them to us. Let us know what you think about this widespread swath of destruction. Uh, what's your favorite moment of, of property damage? I mean, let us know what you think and get back to us. And uh, from us to you, we want to thank you. And remember what I tell you, everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Take care, guys.